you have reached a phone call from Paul. A Literary Hub podcast. To hear more, visit lithub.com. Part 1 of Paul Holden Graber's Conversation with Clive James. Hello, is this Clive James? Yes, is that you, Paul? It is me. My goodness, it's so, so exquisite to hear your voice. And it's lovely to hear yours, too. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so pleased to be speaking to you. How long ago was it that you were here at the New York Public Library? Do you remember? You, you'd have to tell me. It was before I fell ill. So, and to my mind, that's always a long time. I, I, I remember that wonderful evening. Yes. What do you remember about it? First of all, I remember that we had an overflow audience. And we talked about Duke Ellington and everything else. I love the audience. Had a great time meeting them. It, they, they, they were so eager and so hungry. Um, uh, I, I remember just how attentive they were. Do you remember how we started? Uh, you'll have to remind me. Well, you, you actually mentioned it. Uh, we started with Duke Ellington. And I remember playing for you before we spoke i remember playing for you um it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing but um but um but um i and i do you remember what you did what you did was magnificent is well first of all i think you saw who is this madman um, get, getting me on stage and not talking to me, but playing music and playing music for at least a minute? I thought that was wonderful. And you know what you did? You started to tap your foot. Yes, I started. I would have been dancing in another couple of minutes. Yes. Uh. And um, that led us to, to talk about, about John Coltrane. Too cruel to John Coltrane. <laughs> do you do you feel that you 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 were too cruel to him? No, I don't think so. Most of his music was designed to stop me listening, and I did stop. <laughs> it was purely for the elite. I don't like art that's just for the elite. I'm a philistine in that regard. But I hope to. I'd like to think I'm an adventurous philistine. What what does that mean? Well, it means that. Uh, there's always more stuff to point to and to point out. I'm writing a little column now for The Guardian in my old age, and it's my great delight to mention a couple of things during the column uh, that you can look up on YouTube, you know, so that you can put an audience who's never heard of it onto the duet from Madame Butterfly, sung by Renata Scotto and Carlo Berganzi. And you'll get letters saying, you know, I've never heard of an opera before. Where has this stuff been? You can't do better than that. There's quite a lot, lot of enough intelligible art to be going on with without putting into the unintelligible areas. But then I suppose if I'd said that when T.S. Eliot was just getting started, that would have made me a reactionary. So I tried to be careful about it. So, so in, in a way, a bit, because Philistinism is certainly not something I associate at all with you. One tends, one tends to lapse into it when one gets tired. I'm very conscious now that, I'm, that uh, I might be getting past the point of discovering things 
And yet, the other day, uh, my friend and editor here, Don Patterson, recommended um, to me the poetry of, I don't even know how to pronounce her, you will, Gertrude Schenackenberg, is that her name? Something like that, but but, but who am I to, to correct anybody's pronunciation? Anyway, <laughs> and, and, uh, and she's wonderful. She can write in a long line and keep it rhythmic, which is very hard to do. So here I am being enthusiastic about a new discovery. And... Uh, there will still be discoveries to, made, but, to be made, but, but logic tells me that time is running out. But, you know, uh, it, it reminds me of Emerson's wonderful line that nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. And, uh, it, and enthusiasm really in, in kind of the original sense of entheos, of being, as it were, transported uh, by the gods. It seems that, that you're your interests remain as polymorphous as before. They remain as polygamous as before. They remain as Catholic as before. Um, you, you, you write in, 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 uh, in one of your most recent books, latest readings of your, your, your inability to, to an, a, a joyous inability of stopping to stock up on books. Yes. I think gusto is an even better word than than enthusiasm. I haven't lost my gusto for the arts and especially for books. You know, you actually called me on a day when the workmen have been in here putting three new bookcases into my house. And that's it. There is room for no more. <laughs> so, that's, so now that's, I'm loading the books into the new cases that were on the floor waiting. Well, that's what you say, right? There's no, there's no room for more. But uh, should we speak soon again, I, I bet you you might find another nook and cranny to put more books. So, what, I, what, to, I might have to buy another house in the same street. So, so what books are you putting on the bookshelf? Right to today, I was putting up my Anthony Powell collection on the bookshelves because they'd all been on the kitchen counter and uh, stacks of stuff. Lovely book that you would like, uh, The Letters of, uh, of Bernhardt. Uh, of of uh, Thomas Bernhardt? Of Bernhardt. Of Bernhardt. Oh, the, the, um, uh, the, the, the teacher, Jakob Bernhardt, the teacher of, of Nietzsche. Yes, the great 19th century connoisseur. Yeah. I'm a big admirer of Burkhardt. And uh, I have the original the booklets that were put out uh, in the 1920s and 30s, even during the Nazi era. And uh, books, they somehow unaccountably failed to burn. <laughs> I found them all over the world. I've got an almost complete Burkhardt collection. But... Uh, my house is full of the stuff. And, of course, I'm adding to it by writing my own. I'm very pleased that you read latest readings. Oh, it is incredible. It is incredible. It is so omnivorous. It is so, I mean, yes. to, hear, to hear you say, uh, Clive James, I think quite mistakenly that you that, that there may not be great discoveries anymore. Um, it's quite the contrary that you, your reader, this reader, who may not be a humble reader, but is himself an omnivorous reader, feels. I feel like the the, the joy of of discovery is what um, you do with such gusto. Paul, I I, I hope it's true, but the reality is that if I if I wasn't sick, 
age wouldn't matter so much, and, uh, but it does. It de deprives you of energy, and there's only so much you can do. And uh, so I have to plan very carefully what I'm going to write next and even what I'm going to read next. And I always have time to f have to find time for a poem if it starts arriving in my head. This little book that I've got out now just just come out in the States. I hope you've seen it. Uh, it's called Sentence to Life. You, you, you bet. I will, I, will, I will ask you if you're willing to read one or two of the poems because... Well, you it, try and stop me. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, 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 I, I may try or I may not tr uh, try at all. But, but no, I, I for, for sure have seen it and I'm, I'm ever so grateful to you know, Bob Weil and, and his team to be bringing this out. It is magnificent. Oh, my. Bob was very adventurous doing so because the book has uh, been a bestseller here in Britain, but that was no guarantee that it would work in America. But it's got some very nice reviews already. Yes, and uh, I'm very, I'm very glad to have an American audience. Um, poetry is poetry is more marginal in the U.S. than it is in Britain. In Britain, it's central to the culture. In the U.S., I think one is always, especially if you're a visitor like me. You're very conscious of working at the edge of the publishing spectrum, and it's it's quite tricky. It's quite a privilege to be there at all. I'm very very glad to be there. Yes, I mean poetry is on 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 the edge, and 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 yet, in in moments of of joy and sadness, we need it more than ever. I think so. I think there will always be room for. An American poet to break through. I think Billy Collins is an excellent example of what you can do by by being plain and clear. And there are, but the, mainly the American poets that I admire most. Well, they're not just getting old; they're starting to vanish. And Elizabeth Bishop is long gone, and I worship Elizabeth Bishop. And miraculously, um, Richard Wilbur is still there. And I, I, I greatly admire Richard Wilbur. I'm still collecting his books from from every decade since World War II. And uh, but he was a big inspiration to me, along with Philip Larkin, as an example of what could be done with the clear image and plain speech and intelligible syntax. And I'm still learning, and I learn I learn from everyone, but especially from that kind of poet. And a lot of them are Americans. Strangely, some of the European ideals of poetry stayed alive in the U.S. after World War II. It was almost as if they'd enrolled in the GI Bill of Rights. And uh, so Europe flourished in America, a theme which isn't, isn't often enough treated. But I do like the way the Americans write about poetry. I think Dana Joya writes brilliantly about it. He just wrote a long article quite recently, I noticed, saying that the poets should offer more for the reader to see and say. Uh, I believe in sayability, and that's what my little book is trying to do, I think. I'm segueing into a possible recital. Would you like to, to to grasp my arm, push it up behind my back, and make me read a poem? Yes. Uh, why? Why? Why don't you? But be, before you 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 read a poem, I'm I'm wondering in 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 this list of poets who you love, are there currently current younger poets? Because I know that. So movingly, um, you 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 say in uh, latest readings that on on your tombstone, as it were, you want to um, make sure that 
engraved is that you gave the taste to young people to read. Yes. And I think that... Of the written, uh, of the written word. Um, I can't remember the exact words you used. Maybe you remember them. I can quote myself. Please do. He, he loved the written word. He loved the written word and told the young. It's a bit pretentious, perhaps. But. And it was inspired by something you had seen of Wittgenstein. Wittgenstein, yes. Somebody wrote it about Wittgenstein in Latin. When you translate it out of Latin, it says that he released meaning from its bonds in language or something like that. Yes, and, and so inspired by that, you, you, you're thinking of your own last words, as it were, not not really pronounced by you, but seen. And I was thinking, as I was reading that, I was thinking, well, also, I think that one of the things you're, you're trying to do is give people a taste for what is really not common anymore, which is poetry. And I'm wondering, are there younger poets today of any nationality who matter to you and you, who you're discovering now? There are several of them here in England, but they, I, I found them because they're, they're close to me. And uh, several of them, of them are, are women. Isabel Dixon is one. And uh, there's a whole string of them who were heavily influenced by the teaching of Michael Donaghy. Michael Donaghy, I don't think, is famous enough in the U.S. He was an American. He shifted to London, and he started a school for poets. And they're all in their maturity now and all writing brilliantly. It's a very good story. I, I wrote an article about him uh, somewhere. I think it's in, uh, I've forgotten which book it's in now. And, you know, I'm going to do another big book. If I get time, I'll do another big volume like Cultural Amnesia. Remember that one? That's the uh, one we do, launched. Do, do, I, do I remember it, it? You know, it has accompanied me everywhere. And, uh, you know, given also my my own Mitteleuropa background and uh, the, yes. the Stefan Zweig of my youth and my, my parents uh, coming, you know, my father born in 1918 who just recently passed away, that that whole world of, of Vienna at the turn and after the turn of the century is essential. I mean, I remember so clearly, Clive, us talking about an image that I've brought up again and again and again, which is that image you have at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book of the terrace on which Stefan Zweig stood, yes. that, that brought the whole world together, and that over the mountains was someone who was trying to destroy that terrace. And that image, Clive, is essential to me. It, it, it speaks to me like nearly none in the world. Yes, Hitler was at her house only a couple of miles away. Yeah. Yes, Zweig is a wonderful key character. I discovered him. I don't know, you may not have noticed there if there have been any obituaries for Lord Weidenfeld, George Weidenfeld, the great publisher. Yes, of course. Uh, there, there, there have been a couple here, and, and I'm well, well aware of him. I was a great friend and saw a lot of him at one stage. And uh, he, he was very kindly and flatteringly feigned an interest in my work. Of course, he, he hadn't read any of it. He didn't have time. He was too busy. He was too busy knowing everybody. But he never, I never had a conversation with him. <coughs> I never had a conversation with him from which I didn't walk away with a reading list. He was always giving me names, especially from Vienna. Uh, people like Altenberg and uh, Egon Friedel. And the one that really counted for me was Stefan Zweig. <clears throat> and it was 
<coughs> it was because of my conversations with George Weidenfeld that I started to read Stefan Zweig. How extraordinary, because I would say that cultural amnesia is under the sign of Zweig. Uh, Zweig I, would like, I would like to think so, because I'm a bit scared of you being a reader, because you're very knowledgeable, and you're well aware that cultural amnesia has got misprints in six languages. <laughs> and, 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 so it, and so it goes. It doesn't keep, keep one from, from going into that book and opening all kinds of vistas and doors and, and, and learning things. I mean, you, 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 you know, that, that chapter where you bring together gloriously and humorously, let's not forget your great humor, you bring together Einstein and Charlie Chaplin and their tuxedo in a, in a way that is also an image I will never forget. They were talking to each other, and they must have both remembered it, because they told people they were in black tie, they were going to a premiere or something. They bumped into each other, and I think it was Chaplin who said, people, people respect me because they understand everything about me. And and everybody respects you because nobody understands anything about what you do. Sorry, it was a much neater version. Yes, it's it's that. And then and then you add to it um, the the thing they had in common that night was that they were both wearing tuxedos. Exactly, that's what the tuxedo was for. Yes, make everyone equal. It's fantastic. <laughs> but but tell me before I have you read as you kindly offered a couple of poems or as many as you wish. Really, tell me about volume two of Cultural Amnesia. Well, there's a problem of two problems. Will I get time to write any of it? Uh, and I hope that will solve itself. Pretty briefly, my leukemia is in remission and is being held there by a new super drug. But nobody knows how long that will last. So I may as well just behave as if I'm going to live forever and start a big project. I might not finish it. And I don't know how far I'll get with it. But the other problem is what to call it. I was something like Cultural Amnesia Volume 2, The Empire Strikes Back or something. Or does it need a new name? And I'm working on it. I was thinking of calling it The Generations of the Leaves, which is a beautiful line from Homer. Uh, it's, uh, in English, it, the passage goes roughly, uh, the race of men is like the generations of the leaves. They fall in autumn to return in spring. Uh, it's got a beautiful sense of continuity to it, that line. And I might call it that. It'll be a different format, though, I think. I'll, the format that Bob Wilde and I worked out together, there'll be some of that, but we, I might vary it. I don't know how it's going to go. I just know that I'm going to have fun writing it. And I've still got too much to say, which is the ideal condition. Well, um, I, I certainly um, very much hope that... that um, you you will write it, and that we will learn more from you. I love the I love the Homeric title. It leads me quite naturally to ask you now to to read a poem or two. I I have one request, which you know must be a request that that you get often, um, and which I spoke about in the very first phone call from Paul with Neil Gaiman. I invoked uh, Japanese maple because it's a poem that I must say. Uh, moved me so so very deeply from personal loss recently in my family to, ja to, to, 
Yes, my mother, you know, uh, before dying, which is two years ago, uh, what she missed most, uh, really most, Clive, at the very end when she kept saying, I feel despondent, she missed, she missed trees. Ah. And she missed them badly. Um, and she spoke about how important they had been. And then I read your poem, and it was... My, my, my daughter, my older daughter who designed my, my refuge here, my studio, uh, she planted the tree in the garden, and uh, with a warning that when, when autumn came, it would turn blazing red. And, uh, and I, I thought, I was on the ropes at that stage, and I, and I thought, well, maybe that's as far as I'll get. And uh, I'll tell you what happened next after I read the poem. Yes, Incidentally, I published the poem in the New Yorker at a lucky time. Their the, the paywall was done. Their paywall was down because they were getting new subscribers in. And so the thing was easy to get at. And hundreds of thousands of people hit it all from all over the world. And it went viral, which I think is the, probably the first poem to do so. I didn't even know what viral meant, <laughs> but I soon found out it meant wonderful people like Mia Farrow were tweeting and twittering saying how much they liked the poem. Well, I wasn't going to argue with them. I'm going to read it now. Please do. Japanese maple. The only thing to remember is that in the, in the autumn or the fall, as you call it there, the leaves of the tree turn to blazing fire. And I, I begin by addressing myself. It's a quite common trick that I use nowadays. Your death, near now, is of an easy sort. So slow a fading out brings no real pain. Breath growing short is just uncomfortable. You feel the drain of energy, but thought and sight remain. Enhanced, in fact. When did you ever see so much sweet beauty as when fine rain falls on that small tree and saturates your brick-back garden walls, so many amber rooms and mirror halls? Ever more lavish as the dusk descends, this glistening illuminates the air. It never ends. Whenever the rain comes, it will be there beyond my time but now i take my share my daughter's choice the maple tree is new come autumn and its leaves will turn to flame what i must do is live to see that that will end the game for me though life continues all the same filling the double doors to bathe my eyes a final flood of colors will live on as my mind dies, burned by my vision of a world that shone so brightly at the last, and then was gone. Well, the poem came out, and it was transmitted all over the world, and then something very unfortunate happened. Guess what it was? I didn't die. <laughs> I was still here. The tree turned to flame. The winter came, and there I was. It taught me a lesson. <laughs> Don't make promises you can't keep. <laughs> um, and uh, something happened. Um, 
and this poem just just made so many people realize what what it, what it means to write at this moment and it's a moment is it a moment of great clarity yes that's what i've discovered since i got sick in the year 2010 very early in 2010 i really started to concentrate i wasn't might not be here long and i started really looking at the things around me and reflecting on my life and it's a whole new phase 